The Comic-Con that is a mile above the rest returns in 2013, and it's bigger than ever. That's right. Stan Lee's going to be at Denver Comic-Con this year. They also have George Takei at Denver Comic-Con 2013. Plus Kelly Who and Will Wheaton. Friend of the podcast, George's Jaunty, will be there. So go online to denvercomiccon.com where you can buy tickets. Stay tuned. VIP tickets for Stan Lee will be available. Welcome to Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast at Denver Comic-Con. Log on to Denver Comic-Con right now to purchase tickets to the main event. And starting April 24th, you can buy tickets to see Stan Lee. Finally. Finally. He'll be there Sunday only, so make sure you buy your tickets if you want to meet Stan Lee, because that's the only way they'll guarantee you to meet Stan Lee. And he is awesome, in case you're wondering. He's a legend. He is a legend. A legend in the comic book industry. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, oh, man, my earphones suck, well, we have a deal for you. Log on to tweakedaudio.com and select any of their fantastic earbuds. I listen to the natural version three. Brad has the parkour. Parkour. (laughs) I wonder if that joke's ever going to get old. Um, Not for us. Not to us. And when you check out on the coupon area, just type in real nerds, one word, R-E-E-L-N-E-R-D-S, and you'll get a third off your whole order. Even if it's $100,000, you just saved $30,000 because of the real nerds. Just remember, you heard it here first, tweakedaudio.com. That's another $30,000 you can spend on more earbuds. <laughs> That's right, more earbuds. <laughs> um, this week, we saw the movie 42, the story of Jackie Robinson. It was. You'll have to listen to our podcast to find out if it was any good. That'll be at the end of the show. That's at the end of the show, but at the beginning of the show, we have... A special guest with us, and it's always fun to have a special guest for the second time on this podcast. <laughs> and you are the only returning guest <laughs> against your own will. <laughs> Why don't you introduce our wonderful listeners to yourself, sir? I am Glenn Burgetts. I'm the writer and director of Midget Zombie Takeover, which is screening in Denver on May 2nd. Where at? At the Oriental Theater, starting at 7 p.m. Excellent. It's a great theater. That is a really cool theater. So, Glenn, you're a filmmaker. And why don't you tell us a little about your journey to become a filmmaker, what got you interested into making films, and eventually led you to Zombie Midget Takeover. Yeah, I always just wanted to be a writer, had no desire to make films, and I'd written over a dozen scripts, and I couldn't get anyone in L.A. to look at them, let alone turn them down. And uh, so I was talking a few years ago, gosh, it's got to be about six years ago or so, with a guy who used to work at Disney. And we met one day uh, talking over coffee, and he said, yeah, no one in L.A. will ever read any of your scripts because we don't know who you are. And he said, if you want to do anything in the film world, he said, you got to start making your own films. So I read a book about it, uh, well, part of a book about it, and uh, (laughs) six weeks later, I made my first short film, and I made a couple shorts to figure out what the heck I was doing, and since then, Midget Zombie Takeover is my sixth feature film. Wow. So you... you produce films pretty quickly then did you have these scripts already pre-written is that why you're able to make them so fast and or did just the love of making films just start blossoming yeah i still have those uh 12 other scripts actually it's up to 14 now because they would actually require a budget to make them Mm -hmm. and my films i've made for anywhere from 800 to two thousand dollars the feature films and uh i were able to shoot quickly because i write scripts specifically to be shot 
quickly and on a small budget. I will, when I come up with an idea, I'll have the locations in mind, usually just one or two. So we can, a lot of times we just move all over the same house. And uh, I usually keep the, the cast pretty small for the most part. Though with Midget Zombie Takeover, with those little <laughs> zombies running around, uh, the, the cast got a little big at times. Uh, Pun but, intended. Well, it was, a, it was literally small. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I typically write the scripts uh, to be made shot very quickly few locations few cast members and that keeps costs down and keeps the shoot going quickly very cool so what what's the name of your first film then if you don't mind me asking the first feature film i did that was completed because we shot a film and it took years to get edited uh the first completed one was therapist spelled p-i-s-s-e-d about uh <laughs> greg niemer a denver actor was the star of it did a great job and he played a very angry psychologist who uh took out his problems on his patients so what would you say your influence as a filmmaker is do you gravitate towards somebody and you try to emulate them or do you have your own style uh i am completely unique no uh, <laughs> i don't know for the most part i've just loved comedies uh, you put leslie nielsen in a film i'm watching it steve martin john candy and i do mostly comedies we've, we've done a couple of psychological thrillers as well uh, but for the most part i typically have leslie nielsen john candy steve martin floating around in my head like what would they do in this situation hmm. you know if they were in the film and i would have to say that's probably my biggest influence when i'm writing a script or directing a film very cool. So then what led you to making a horror movie then? I guess it's a horror comedy. Um, is it just because you liked the idea of making a zombie comedy or it just came to you one day and it, that's well, what you wanted to do? Well, no, it's because I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> why we made Midget Zombie Takeover because years ago, it's got to be about three years ago, maybe even a little more now. Uh, the CEO at a distribution company, I was talking with him on the phone one day about one of my other films and, and he was... They were representing it, but having trouble selling it. And he said, you know, he said, if you ever make a film with zombies in it, I can sell it. Or if you ever make a film with women in bikinis in it, I can sell it. And, you know, I'm an idiot. So it took me three years to figure out, wait, I can combine those two things. Let's have a hot tub party with women in bikinis, have zombies attack. And uh, but then I kept thinking, gosh, I, I need to put a little different spin on it. And I was talking with my niece, Christine, one day. And uh, she said, well, why don't you put midgets in there? Make the zombies midgets. Hmm, I kind of <laughs> like that idea, and thus was born Midget Zombie Takeover. Though I must say, at first it was Little Zombie Takeover uh, until the shoot. Our shooting title was Little Zombie Takeover, uh, but the little people on set who played the zombies, they demanded we call it Midget Zombie Takeover because they said, hey, we're midgets and we're proud of it. That's very cool because, you know, when you hear that title right away, in, we're in such a PC world. You're saying, whoa, whoa, midget in the title. That has to be a horrible idea, and it's going to be. So that's really cool that you got the, I, the idea from the little people that worked on the film for you. Is there a specific person who came up and said, hey, this is the wrong title. It should be midget. Uh, we, we have been banned from one theater that had booked us initially when the title we, we weren't finished shooting the film yet, and we were still going by a little zombie takeover. And they had shown two of my previous films, uh, The Worst Movie Ever and To Die Is Hard at this theater. And they said, yes, when this film's done, we're going to show it. And then when I said, okay, here's Midget Zombie Takeover, uh, they said, yeah, we're not showing that. That is too offensive. So <laughs> I said, yeah, okay, sorry. And they have not shown us. Well, we've been banned. Comedy's supposed to push boundaries. It is. It's <laughs> supposed to push, totally yeah. push boundaries. So... How long did it take you to make this movie? Was it a, a long process? How did you get 
actors to be in the movie because to me it sounds like it'd be hard to cast enough little people to be the zombies in it was that a hard process or was it seamless and it was sunny and and rosy anything but seamless (laughs) Uh, we shot most of the film in fort wayne indiana last summer and there are not a whole lot of little people who are actors and actresses in northeast indiana so uh our our main kind of king zombie was Travis Green, came down from, he actually lives north of Milwaukee, and he's in Dead Man's Carnival uh, out of Milwaukee. And uh, so Travis had to come down from uh, Wisconsin to be our king zombie. We got some other uh, shorter people uh, to play the other zombies uh, from northeast Indiana, northwest Ohio. And the film shoot itself was very quick. We shot the film over the course of four days, but putting everything together was a challenge because all my previous films I'd shot in Denver. Very easy to find, very talented cast and crew members, get everyone together quickly, get a film shot. I ended up, uh, I got a couple people from Fort Wayne, but I ended up having to expand my reach. We got, we got Travis in from Wisconsin, Dennis Parent, our uh awesome makeup guy who did all the zombie makeup he came down from michigan most of the cast and crews from chicago uh we also got some people from western indiana a bunch of people from northwest ohio uh the crazy guy in the film jonathan hodges who was awesome he came over from northwest ohio to be in the film so it took a little while to get the cast and crew together but once we settled on a date got everyone in there you know boom boom we barreled through two weekends of shooting and the film was done so do you have a a table read or a rehearsal or do you send people the script and say hey know your lines because we only have four days to shoot this so i expect you to know your stuff and be ready to go yeah you nailed it Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i've never had a rehearsal i've had a few reads uh, before my films with this one i mean i didn't even get to do auditions in person for the most part uh, getting people from all over the Midwest, basically, I guess, what, five states uh, people were involved in or from. Uh, so, yeah, people would uh, send me a video uh, audition, oftentimes just taken with their cell phone, and they'd email it to me. Some, uh, A couple of the people, Jewel Kurtz, who plays one of the, the midget zombies, and Jonathan Hodges, who I would mentioned, I'd seen them do some theatrical work before. So I just said, hey, do you want to roll? They said yes. I'm like, okay, you're good. You're ready to go. And... We got most of the cast and crew together at the house where we shot. I was renting a a house uh, last summer there in Fort Wayne, and we brought everyone in uh, Friday night. Everyone drove in, and most of them were there Friday night. We did a quick read-through, you know, a couple questions were answered and things, and we started shooting first thing Saturday morning, and and it, it worked out great. You know, everyone stayed at the house. I didn't have money for hotel rooms for anyone, so everyone just stayed at the house. We turned it into summer camp. And uh, it, I found out later, uh, you know, I, we would shoot till 10 or 11 at night and I'd run up to my bedroom, close the door, turn the air conditioner on. So things were quiet other than the air conditioner. And I'd try to get about six hours sleep before getting up to shoot the next day. And I'd get up and, uh, you know, start trying to rouse people and uh, took a little effort to get people up. And I eventually found out that basically everyone else was staying up till, you know, three thirty, four in the morning, <laughs> partying, talking, <laughs> carrying on, having a good time, summer camp. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, we'd finally get going about eight or nine in the morning and you know, shoot for the next, you know, 14 hours or, sh- or so and do it again the next day. So you shot the movie for only $2,000. Is it hard to find actors that are willing to be in a movie basically for the love of it because obviously you can't offer them a lot of money and also 
with the crew too, you have to you have to find people that are really hungry to make a name for themselves more so than the money. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can typically afford to pay people basically gas and food money. Mm-hmm. I keep them fed. I keep them fed during the shoot. Make sure they have money to pay their you know gas to fill up their tank. And every now and then, if I have a really small cast, I can give them an extra hundred dollars or so. But with two thousand dollars and the bigger cast, yeah, it was basically gas money, a little food money. With the crew members, uh, typically a little bit more. Uh, you know, people who I guess in independent films, typically you're used to hearing about the star of the film getting five or ten or twenty million dollars. At least in my small budget independent film world, it's the editor who typically gets the most because the editor has to put the most time in. The DP might get a little extra for the extra time they have to put in uh, because, you know, the crew members, they are there every second of the day, <laughs> you know, when we're shooting, whereas the cast members, they can come and go, relax, get in the hot tub, you know, <laughs> get something to eat and all when they're not going to be on set for a couple hours. So in a zombie movie, though, too, you need makeup. Is the, Was the makeup a challenge to do on, under your budget or was it something that was... Because you had a makeup artist on there. Did he bring his own makeup and you didn't have to worry about super gruesome gags or anything like that? Yeah, we didn't have any of the you know heads exploding or anything like that where they take a bullet in the head and the brains go flying. We didn't have the budget for that. We actually spent about $100 on makeup and Dennis did a fantastic job uh, making the zombies look good. We've even had a number of the critics who have reviewed the film comment that the makeup looks really good for a small budget film. And, yeah, we spent about $100. Dennis would get each zombie in the chair for, depending on how much makeup, if they were one of the the premier zombies or one of the more background zombies, uh, you know, for an hour and a half or so for the the really thorough makeup and maybe 45 minutes for the the ones who are more in the background. But Dennis did a great job, cost us about $100 for makeup. Uh, But sadly, because of that, we don't have any, you know, heads exploding, brains splattering all over. So, I mean, but if, is it, really necessary in the story you're telling um, because we talked to you earlier and you said this could probably be a PG 13 movie. So does it, so it must rely more on the comedy than the horror. So how do you blend the two and satisfy the horror crowd? Because you know, the horror crowd's going to want to see something that's scary is it the girls in the bikinis that satisfies everybody? Uh, for the most part. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. What a joke I just pulled. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, a number of the critics have been calling it a zomedy, and because it is more comedically based than horror based, the film. And uh, but we do have a couple, you know, good scares. Again, it's not, you know, it's not blood everywhere. We do have a little bit of blood here and there. And uh, but we we tried uh, to take a maybe at times a fresher approach with the zombies. Uh, in one instance, Travis has just picked off one of the bikini-clad women, and typically we're not used to zombies having any sexual emotions <laughs> or feelings, but Travis the zombie, uh, let's just say he gets a little frisky uh, while feasting on a dead bikini-clad woman. <laughs> what's, the, what's the plot for the movie? If you Because <laughs> uh, we've talked about the behind-the-scenes, so what's the overall plot of the movie? Yeah, it's pretty simple. Uh, some college kids decide to get together for a hot tub party. They're having their fun, and suddenly a whole bunch of little zombies who are hungry for flesh, human flesh, invade <laughs> the party. And the kids have to, the college kids have to try to fight off the zombies and see if they can survive. And and uh, 
hopefully the one fun little twist is that all the kids are supposed to be the cool kids. They like each other. But Billy, played by Matt Goose Goosehurst, uh, he's the outcast. He's a big lad, and they make fun of him. But at the end, will it be Billy who saves the day? Uh, does your uh does your film explain where the zombies come from, or is it just like they kind of just happen to be there? They just appear, uh, and we're saving that for hopefully Midget Zombie Takeover 2. And uh, we've already had a number of people say, you got to do a sequel. And uh, Mr. Lobo, the host of Cinema Insomnia, he, he saw the film when we had our world premiere in Virginia in February, and he loved it, and he said he wants to be in the sequel. And, and he said he would love to be the doctor who figures out why these little people are turning into zombies. And I said, well, Mr. Lobo, if you're going to be in the film, I got to get kill you off. Is that okay? He said, you better bloody kill me <laughs> off. So, yeah, so uh, that's where we will explain maybe how, why these little people are turning into zombies. And that's okay, too, because Night of the Living Dead, they never explained where the zombies came from. They just started attacking. They did kind of in the background, so it's more scary when you don't know what's happening. Oh, yeah, it's... it's uh, like with Halloween, with Michael Myers, he's just killing for the sake of killing in the first one. I, I didn't like how, you know, in the, you know, what episode, I guess, four, the fourth one, and they start explaining why he's doing the killing and this and mm. that. Like, hey, just let him kill. That's scarier. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need a motive. He just wants to kill. That's all right with me. So it's a true independent film because you're touring this all over the place. What's the process for your film being shown at theaters? Because you're doing really an old style where they don't really do it anymore where you take it to them and say hey this is my film will you please show it um and you're not only in denver you're going to kansas city and a bunch of other places and what's the process like for that and how do you make contact for any aspiring filmmakers out there how do you make contact with theaters for them to show your film yeah a couple years ago uh when we had to die is hard completed uh my feature film from 2010 we screened it some. It was getting a great response. It, it lampoons Die Hard. And, I was going to say, you know, that sounds like Die Hard 6. <laughs> yeah, and we lampoon action films and Die Hard in particular. And we're getting a great response to it. So I just looked up every independent theater I could find in the country. It's truly independent. A lot of theaters are owned by Landmark. And they you have to go through corporate offices there and all. And, and they don't want to you know pay attention to anyone like me. I don't blame them. And uh, but I found that over 100 truly independent theaters that, you know, it's just some guy or some lady who owns this theater and they like to show films. And I started contacting them about to die is hard. And, you know, probably about no, it was 25 of them or so said, yeah, we'll take a look at it. And we ended up getting it in four of those theaters. And from there, you know, with the worst movie ever, we ended up getting that in seven different theaters. And I just keep, you know, emailing these people occasional phone call hey you know we gotten some good reviews i always try to get people to review the films and uh if we get a good review i let the theater owners know about it hey people are liking it. if we get a bad review i don't let them know anything <laughs> all about it and uh so yeah with midget zombie takeover we very quickly got a couple of really good reviews and so i hit these theaters up right away hey this is what creep show radio said about us and and the zombie media database and examiner.com and they're they're more apt to give the film a look and uh so yeah they they looked it over and a lot of them are saying well yeah we'll bring it in for a late night screening you know or late friday night late saturday night or something and uh but you know we've gotten we're coming up in phoenix may 3rd and 4th actually in tempe arizona at the valley art theater they're showing us prime time friday and saturday night and they had actually talked about possibly showing us for a week so if we do well enough there they might bring us back for a one week run but it's basically just being 
tenacious without being, you know, annoying and just letting these theaters know, you know, hey, we got another good review. Hey, we had good box office at this theater. You know, maybe we'll have good box office at your theater as well. Why don't you give us a shot? And while, you know, 90% of them you know, never respond to the email or just completely ignore me, uh, yeah, the, the 10%, you know, end up responding, get a little relationship going, and eventually sometimes I'll show the film. So that's, I mean, that helps a lot of um, filmmakers that maybe do it independently because, I think now, you know, everything's so corporate that you have to find a way in and that's kind of interesting. So do you also submit it to festivals and and other, you know, festivals, film review I don't even know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Besides film festivals. What other kind of festivals could there be where you showcase films? I don't know. Yeah. I, I usually submit each of the films to just a you know, three or four festivals, maybe five at the most. And I tend to submit to those festivals where I know someone there that I want to support their festival, whether they show me or not, at least they get, you know, the $50 submission fee. And uh, so I, I don't do a lot with the festival route for the most part, because with to die is hard, the worst movie ever and midget zombie takeover. They're not really festival type films. They're just goofy, bizarro stuff. The next film we'll have coming out is the ghosts of Johnson woods. And that is a psychological thriller. And that's a film I'll probably push more towards festivals. It seems more of a festival type film and hopefully we can get a nice track record going there. Maybe get that one in some theaters as well. And, uh, but with the festivals, they can get pretty expensive. You know, you start submitting to festivals. Some of them, you know, are $7,500 for a submission fee or an entry fee. And, you know, as, as little as I pay for a film, heck my films feature film separate checks. We shot for $800 and, you know, if I end up submitting to 20 film festivals, I'll end up spending a whole lot more just to submit to these film festivals than it would cost me to possibly make a whole new feature film. So I kind of have to weigh, you know, how much, it, you know, is it worth, you know, submitting to a bunch of festivals or maybe just a handful. And, and I go from there. When is the first time you knew that maybe you were doing something right as a filmmaker where people wanted to see your film? Was it a good review or is... Maybe a friend saw it and they enjoyed it or your family was okay with what you were making or when was it when was the aha moment that maybe I have a voice for film? Yeah, actually, uh, I remember the exact moment. I couldn't tell you the day or whatever, but I remember when it happened is the second short film I did was called Guernica Still Burning. And it's actually a very dramatic film. And uh, it's almost a, uh, an experimental film kind of stream of consciousness and it follows one man's you know, spiritual journeys. He's trying to figure out who he is, what he believes. And it's a 22-minute short film. And uh, there are really only two cast members. There, there are two cast members in it. And then the crew was just two people, me and Alan Day Green, who shot and edited it. And as we were shooting it, I thought, this could be pretty good. And uh, when Alan got the edit together and showed me the finished edit for the first time, I remember thinking, my gosh, I actually know how to make a film. This is pretty good. <laughs> and uh, that was when I thought, yeah, I'm going to keep doing this. You know, this is, I, I'm not only having fun doing it, but I think I have a little bit of a clue as to what I'm doing. And I'm certainly learning things all the time. And I certainly take missteps, you know, as all filmmakers do, as all actors and actresses do. And, you know, saying, oh, I want to be in that film. And it turns out to be a complete dud. But it's been basically nothing but a great process. And Guernica Still Burning was the film that, you know, said, yeah, told me that I might know what I'm doing a little bit. Very cool. So and also, too, just by listening to you, sounds like you don't really have a genre that you latch on to. Is it because you like to challenge yourself with new genres or is it just you have ideas and you want to make them? 
It's mostly the ideas thing. I, I'm, comedy's my favorite, uh, and I've, we've mostly done comedies. And uh, But I also love horror films, you know, because the great thing with horror films are when they're really good, they're really good, and when they're really bad, they're really good, you know. <laughs> horror films are sometimes the best ones. And uh, But, yeah, we've done a little bit of drama. Uh, Evil Intent is a psychological thriller we did a couple of years ago that we have a distribution deal for. It's gotten some small VOD deals and things. And, you know, that was great to shoot that film. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier with uh, The Ghosts of Johnson Woods, that was really fun and interesting to make that, to do something a little different. And so basically whatever idea comes to mind, if I, I get an idea, you know, think about it for a few days, a week, two weeks, and I think, well, maybe I can put a script together around that that we could afford to shoot. I'll go ahead and write the script and start putting a cast and crew together. So do you write a script uh, based on the constraints you're going to have with a budget or do you write a script and then adjust it to the budget that you have for the film? Yeah, I write a script knowing I'm not going to have much money to make it uh, because even though, you know, my earlier films have gotten out there as an independent filmmaker, you know, we typically get a small take of the box office because I don't have any clout, you know, with these theaters. (laughs) I can't say, well, Tom Cruise demands this or that. And, uh, so when I write a script, I know it's going to be a small budget film that I usually guess, you know, maybe $1,500. And I just start thinking, well, how many characters do I really need? I try to keep the characters to an absolute minimum, and I try to keep the locations to an absolute minimum. Because every time you have to move to a new location, that's oftentimes another day of shooting. And we, you know, I try to keep the shoot schedules as short as possible. With the worst movie ever, we shot the whole thing in one weekend, a two-day shoot, uh, to get a feature film. And granted, uh, you know... That means some scenes aren't perfect. The same thing with Midget Zombie Takeover taking four days. Sometimes we shoot a, a, a take or a scene just one time, and, hey, that looked all right. Let's move on to the next one. And sometimes you get burned a little bit in, in the edits uh, trying to figure out how to put that back together. But, yeah, I typically get an idea, write the script to keep everything as simple as possible so we can shoot it on the small budget. So also, too, then, does that mean you don't have a lot of wasted scenes, I mean, meaning that you don't have a lot of scenes on the cutting room floor? to make it or do you have tons of scenes that are on cutting room floor we have nothing on the cutting room (laughs) floor because uh, everything you write you shoot yeah Yeah. and and it ends up in the movie it it makes its way into the film because you know for the most part to keep these films affordable and to shoot them quickly you know we're not making the two hour and 28 minute long film we're making films that are an hour and 20 minutes you know they're still feature length but we we don't have the time and the money to shoot you know a two two and a half hour film so yes everything that's in the script gets shot and ends up in the final edit (laughs) does that help you with characters though writing that way because you know that you have to keep it so tight that the characters seem to have more depth when you're writing them because you can't you know make such like a throwaway character basically just to be like in a zombie movie you know there might be a character who's just killed because it's cool to kill him where in you know zombie midget takeover since the cast is so small you kind of have to give everybody a little bit of meat on the bone well i i would i would say that with the ghosts of johnson woods because there are only four cast members in the ghosts of johnson woods and 90% 90% of the film, they're just the two in there. And so they get developed really well. In Midget Zombie Takeover, it's just a bunch of morons doing <laughs> stupid things and getting killed. Uh, there's not a whole lot of character development with that one. Uh, so it depends. And, you know, I, I couldn't do it nearly as much, not that I wanted to, because it was a much bigger cast. And, you know, to try to to give basically nine primary characters some character development in an hour and, you know, 15-minute film while I'm killing them off. 
and you know trying to do some justice to the zombies yeah i didn't worry about character development <laughs> with this film so in zombie midget takeover the zombies show up very early and start causing havoc is what you're saying yes for the most part and uh so we don't have a chance to develop a whole lot of characterization but the last few people who are still alive uh uh amanda played by christy mckay and and Billy, played by Goose Goosehurst, Matt Goose Goosehurst, and uh, Kedrin Carpenter's character, Daniel Kramer's character. They develop a little bit. Uh, they they grow. Uh, <laughs> they see a little spiritual growth, I think, as as the carnage ensues. And uh, But, yeah, for the most part, yeah, it's not nothing like a, a little seed growing into a mighty oak. We don't have any of that <laughs> in the film. <laughs> So I have to ask if you uh, maybe you don't know the answer. How does he get the nickname Goose Goose? Well, his last name's Goosehurst, and everyone just calls him Goose. So uh, yeah, Matt said, you know, make sure you put Goose in the credits. I am Matt Goose Goosehurst. <laughs> that's fine with me. So that's what we went with. So we got the Goose. Very cool. So uh, do you have a question? Looks yeah. like I say something. Sorry. What was your, what did you find was your most difficult part of making Midge Zombie Takeover? We have a lot of scenes shot in uh, the house we shot in at four levels and the lowest level was completely underground, no windows or anything. And the more than any other place in the film, we shot more scenes there than anywhere else. And there was no air conditioning down there. There was, there was heat, but we were shooting in summer, so we didn't need that. And just shooting one scene after another in that seething cauldron... <laughs> <laughs> that got a little taxing at times. We'd have to run out of the room and just cool off for a few minutes, you know, drinking lots of water and all. And and uh, it was really tough for uh, Christy McKay and, and Matt Goose Goosehurst because they, you know, they had the most scenes down there. And uh, so it got pretty sweaty, a little uncomfortable at times, but everyone, you know, kept smiling, kept laughing. So it wasn't that bad. And uh, so, yeah, we all had a good time, even with the sweaty hot stuff. So the opposite question is, what was the most fun you had during the shoot in the hot tub with bikini-clad women? Yeah, well, I didn't get in the hot tub myself. I only have a brief cameo at the beginning of the film. I was still going to ask you if you do a Hitchcock, and are you you in all your films, or is it only this one that you're in? I I was actually the star of To Die Is Hard and The Worst Movie Ever. My other films, I've had smaller roles. This is probably the smallest role I've had in one of the films. I'm just in it right at the very beginning. And uh, the main reason is not that I you know, have any talent as an actor, but <laughs> it's one less person I have to pay you know, $50 in gas money to, so it saves a little money. Uh, but the whole thing I, it was really fun. Maybe the funniest moment uh, I had alluded to earlier is when Travis has knocked off one of uh, uh, Anita, uh, Nicole Brown, uh, she's been killed off in her bikini, and Travis, the midget zombie, uh, takes some liberties with her. That was rather humorous to watch that scene unfold. And your other movies, uh, like when you're in them and you have to still direct, like is that terribly challenging? Or um... no, uh, as a director, I like to trust the cast and crew that they're bringing their own talents to the film because they're all artists in one form or another, both behind the camera and in front of the camera. So I like to let, especially the cast members, do their thing and interpret their character in their own way. And I'll occasionally say, well, let's try this a little bit differently. But for the most part, I let them do their thing. And so I just, I'm just an actor for those 30 seconds or a minute that I'm in the scene. And I just do the acting. And 
Uh, sometimes I remember to say cut when the scene's done <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll reshoot it possibly. But I heard an interview a number of years ago with a, an actor who had worked with Spike Lee and he said it was so wonderful to work with Spike Lee because he said Spike would sometimes go a whole day, sometimes two days and basically say nothing. He just let us be ourselves and, and to put ourselves into the character and play the character the way we wanted to. He said it was just so fabulous, you know, to have that freedom uh, with a role. And so I've always tried to keep that in mind that, yeah, let's give these people some credit, you know, and let's let them bring their own interpretation to the role. With Midget Zombie Takeover, I maybe did a little more directing just because over half the cast members had never been in any sort of film at all before, even, you know, a two minute short. And so at times I had to coach them along a little more. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, they all showed up, they knew their lines, they knew what they wanted to do, and they did a great job. So even when I'm in a film, I have been so fortunate to work with really talented people that I can let them do their thing while I'm doing my acting thing and not have to worry about it a whole lot. Are you a stickler for the lines you write? Or is it just, you know, they, as far as open to interpretation, can they create a... Um like a, a mood or feeling with their acting, but they still have to stick to the lines or is it just open? Like it, your script's just a template. Yeah. Since every word I write is pure gold, <laughs> I, I make, I make them stick to it. Uh, for the most part, the actors and actresses, they show up and they know their lines and they stick pretty well to it. One of the actors who would ad lib a bit I've worked with over the years is Greg Niemer and he's uh, a Denver guy and Greg would, get a little funky with the lines sometimes. And sometimes, you know, we had to reshoot the scene, but there were quite a few times, especially in uh, To Die Is Hard and Separate Checks. He, he played prominent roles in both of those films. He came up with some stuff that was really good that we left in the film. You know, that happened on a film, Me and Him Shot, and it's my favorite brag moment that we were shooting this scene and I... Nope, nope. This yep. isn't about us. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Nope. laughs> Anyways, uh, I just want to prove that, you know, sometimes actors are right and directors aren't. Do you own most of your equipment or do you rent? I own... I do own a boom microphone, or I guess the microphone, and, and we duct tape it to a, <laughs> a three-wood uh, golf club. And that's what we use for a lot of my films for the sound. Uh, the other equipment, I just have, you know, the cameraman have their own camera and they bring it on set. So we've, we're always using different cameras from film to film. And, uh, Orion Metzger was the director of photography for midget zombie takeover. And I hadn't worked with Orion before he came in from Chicago and he showed up with this little tiny, what Canon DSLR, something like this, this little tiny camera. I'm like, Oh my gosh, how are we going to shoot a feature film on that? Worked beautifully. And uh, so, yeah, he had his own camera. I've worked with uh, Eric Lassie, who's the uh, editor of Midget Zombie Takeover. He was the director of photography for The Worst Movie Ever. He had his own camera. Alan Day Green has shot some films for me. He had his own equipment. Nick Falls, uh, the director of photography for Therapist, he had his own camera. So I own a microphone. That's what I own. <laughs> so. so because you worked with so many people that have never been in a film before, was it, did you shoot the film in order? Or did you shoot it out of order? And was it hard for people who haven't been in film before to get in character in specific scenes if they were shot out of order? Yeah, we were absolutely out of order. We basically shoot by location. Uh, you know, we had a bunch of scenes you know, on the hot tub. We'll shoot all those at once or on the deck by the hot tub, get all those shot. And then we'll, okay, we got these these three scenes that take place in the kitchen. Let's shoot the kitchen scenes. Whoever's in them, come on, you know, come mm -hmm. on over. Uh, or when we were shooting in the family room. 
So we mostly moved from location to location. The one exception with that would be the zombies were only on set for one day with Midget Zombie Takeover. So we had to save, and that was the last day of the shoot. And we had to save all the zombie scenes, obviously, for that last day of the shoot. And so, therefore, we were just running all over basically the house and yard where we, where we shot, you know, getting those scenes taken care of. But for the most part, uh, I group it on location, especially in this case because everyone was just staying at the house. And uh, if we're doing a shoot uh, for, like, the worst movie ever, it's, you know, somewhat on location. But then I also try to group the cast members so they only have to be on set for, like, two to four hours each. Because it gets really boring as a cast member if you're on set for eight or ten hours. And you shoot one scene at, you know, nine in the morning. Then you got to wait till four in the afternoon to your next scene. So sometimes I will group a particular actor or actress's scenes together so they can get in and out quickly so they don't have to waste a whole day just sitting around, you know, with nothing to do. Very cool. So where else is Midget Zombie Takeover playing at? Yeah, we've already screened in the D- in the Washington, D.C. area, L.A., San Antonio, Fort Collins, Colorado. Uh, we have dates coming up uh, this weekend, uh, which I don't know if we'll be on air yet by then. But We will. Uh, yeah, we will. April, it's, it's going up tonight. Brad. Uh, sun- <laughs> Sunday, April 21st at noon in Kansas City at the Screenland Crossroads Theater. Then we have a date December or December, May 2nd in Denver at the Oriental Theater. Then we have May 3rd and 4th at the Valley Art theater in tempe arizona and we've also been booked into cinema 21 in portland oregon we don't have a date set for that yet and we've also been booked into the roxy theater in london england and we haven't set dates yet for that there one of the theaters actually talking about possibly a one-week run because we begin we've been getting quite a bit of attention from england apparently they are gung-ho for zombies and and bad films and uh so yeah we've gotten a lot of requests for reviews uh, for magazine interviews, website interviews, and we're hoping maybe we can parlay that into a one-week run in London. So all the places you've shown your movie so far, what audience had the best reaction to your film? Well, when we had the world premiere at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia, outside D.C., uh, it was part of the Zombie TV Freakend Festival, and a lot of people were there, and it was raucous, and the crowd just went nuts. It was probably the biggest crowd we've had so far and they just went crazy over the film the theater owner steve narangis you know told me even before the film was over he came up to me in the theater he said i have never heard this much laughing at a film in all my years of owning a theater and uh so that was probably the best reaction because of the combination of how much they loved it and how big the crowd was we had a sellout i attended the screening in la and while it wasn't a sellout uh, we still had a good crowd in there and they really liked the film uh, we even had a screening uh, that was fantastic where there were probably only about 50 people there, but they were so into the film and they were yelling out at the screen and, you know, and calling, <laughs> calling the characters names and just going nuts. It was like a, a screening of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. That was a lot of fun as well. So in the movies you make, is that the kind of reaction you want from an audience is them yelling at the kids for being stupid and saying, hey, there's midget zombies about to take over this place. Let's... uh you know, let's get out of here. Is that something you strive for in the kind of films you make? Not with all of them, but but with this film, as I was writing the script, you know, it certainly crossed my mind. Like, you know, this could be a midnight movie type film, you know, where people might be yelling at it. Same thing with the worst movie ever, because uh, with the worst movie ever, which came out a year and a half ago, uh, you know, we've got in quite a few theaters, seven theaters, a number of late night showings. And it's it's a film I tried to make as awful as possible but to be so bad. It was good and which was a challenge in itself. And 
And yeah, it's one of those films where I was ho- I'm hoping that eventually we, st- we still get it in theaters here and there. We have a screening set in October for it as a midnight movie. And uh, hopefully it'll be one of those films that as people start to see it more and more, yes, they will be yelling at the screen and having fun with it and maybe even throwing things at screens. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> Is there a place online where people can catch your old stuff? Um... Since we have distribution deals in place for these films, we can't just let people you know, stream it you know, for free. And we're still working. We haven't gotten DVD deals yet where they can buy it. Uh, they can certainly check out the trailers on YouTube. Or what we do is uh, there are Facebook fan pages for both or for all of uh, the films, Midget Zombie Takeover, The Worst Movie Ever, and To Die Is Hard. And what we do occasionally there, and when we don't let the distributor know, is we do promos where, you know, for the next three days, any, anyone who sends us a message and asks to see the film, we'll send them a link to the private viewing page for the film. And we did that just recently with The Worst Movie Ever, and we got a great response, uh, especially Europeans. Europeans seem to really be <laughs> liking The Worst Movie Ever. And so, yeah, if, if people are interested in seeing these, films like the films on facebook again to die is hard the worst movie ever and midget zombie takeover and keep an eye out for when we'll do some like that occasional posting uh we also got uh promote horror a website uh i've been going back and forth with them for a couple days we're going to be doing a promotion with them of some sort for midget zombie takeover and the promotion we might be doing is you know the first five or ten people each day for say a week who get on Facebook and send us a message, say, I want to see this film. We'll send them for free a link to the private viewing page for the film. So yeah, most of the distribution deals we have so far are smaller VOD deals. Uh, We have one with us for some of our films with a Spanish language station that's showing uh, occasional English language films. (laughs) And I don't even know where the station is. I just know the distributor said, Oh, we'll have a few bucks coming in from them eventually. Do you have to Uh, translate a version of your movie for them or do they do that for you? Apparently they want to show some English language stuff for people who are bilingual or wanting to learn English. And what better way to learn English than watching (laughs) one of my stupid films? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of tough to get hold of our films at this point because we don't have a lot of big deals for them, and we don't have DVD deals yet. Uh, hopefully those are coming down the line, but in the meantime, yeah, become a fan on Facebook, like us on Facebook, and that could be your chance to see the film for free. Or a better way to see it is May 2nd at the Oriental <laughs> Theater in Denver, Colorado at Come from out o'clock. of state and see it. Come from <laughs> out of state. The real nerds will be there. Will you be there? Thank you for stopping by for the second time, our first repeat <laughs> guest. In fact, your first interview was so great, it was locked with the Ark of the Covenant, and it'll never be found again. <laughs> well, I appreciate yeah. the real nerds having me on. I really Anytime. appreciate the coverage. Yeah, I thank Eric for oh, yeah. being Eric, here the first time. Unfortunately, Eric he couldn't come back. Last but... time, and he had a wealth of knowledge that will never be heard. <laughs> we feel so bad about it. But thank you again, and especially because it's such a dreary night here in Denver. <laughs> and a local filmmaker, Denver filmmaker, with a Denver podcast. And without further ado, it's time for fan mail. Fan mail! Ah, we got a lot of tweets this week, which I like, because they're short and sweet, and then that means people are paying attention to us, and that's always a good thing. Um, Cora tweeted us that she just saw Jurassic Park in 3D at the Alamo Draft House. Awesome experience. Thanks, Real Nerds. Uh, yeah, if you haven't been to the Alamo, it's uh, quite the experience. Um the food's good. The movies are projected 
brightly and they always have goofy things in the front of the movies the screen tells you to shut the fuck up <laughs> the screen does tell you to shut the fuck up i loved the the one before evil dead when they had george romero say that that you'll become one of the the dead yeah if you, if he's, you he's gonna take movies. matters into his own hands and we know a two thing about george romero he he loves his zombies um yeah alamo draft house is a great great place to watch the movies and the food's uh like we used to go elsewhere for dinner mm-hmm. and then go see the movie. Like now we can do both at the same time. Exactly. I got the carnivore pizza. It was delicious. This week, if the forty two wasn't sold out, I was totally going to get. They have this like hamburger on there that I really want to get, mm-hmm. and uh, I wasn't able to get it because it was sold out. But mm-hmm. next week, hopefully. Well, now we know to buy tickets before Oblivion. Yeah. It's probably going to be really popular. So. So you should probably listening buy your tickets in advance too, so that you don't run into the situation that we did. Absolutely. Last week, I picked as my comic book of the week. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was a it was a cool four part series that dealt with, you know, welcome to the team. Where it had some people that didn't have Slayer powers trying to slay the the, the vampires, and it was really it was a really good s- series. And George's Jaunty has drawn the comic book for a long time, and his last cover I really liked. So I I tweeted him that I liked it, and he said, uh, "Thanks, I like it too." And I, I don't know, the geek part of me is saying, oh my God, someone famous tweeted me back. <laughs> and someone whose res- work I really respect. So thank you, Georges, for uh, tweeting us back. Because yeah, thanks for staying in touch with us. It's absolutely. Appreciate it. Because you know what? We're going to hopefully interview him this year again at Denver Comic Con. What if he's just never tweeting, uh, tweeting us back because he's like, oh God, I'll be running into those guys. Yeah. <laughs> Please leave me alone. It'll be one of those things. Where, hey, hey, George, just come back and back. And he's like, oh, I have a panel to go to, but the show is over. That's all right. I understand if, you know, he doesn't want to. Also, I, you know how I feel about Rebecca Isaacs. I love Rebecca Isaacs. And James has posters of her all over his wall. I know, James. And I mean, he has like videos that. It, um, it's really weird. I don't know where yeah. he gets the videos from, but. Yeah, I think he's downloaded every YouTube video um, and every JPEG on the internet. <laughs> Uh, the thing with Rebecca Isaacs is I think she's one of the best artists working because I love her line work. It's so clean, mm-hmm. and her her covers become amazing and amazing, more amazing after every one she draws. And I, I just happened to send her a tweet. I I said, hey, are you coming to Denver Comic Con this year? And she said, unfortunately, not this year. We'll be finishing up Angel and Faith at just about the same time, but next year. And uh, that's a bummer because she won't be there, but it's also cool that she's not taking a break from the book. On the Buffy books, the main artist will draw four issues, and then they'll have basically a one-shot by a guest artist, and I always dislike it when she's not on the book. So she that the last issue that she she drew was actually supposed to be a fill-in, but she decided she wanted to draw it. So she's been really busy, and she's doing such a great job that I'll... I'll, I'll I'll let her slide this one time. I don't know. Like she can't work on it at Denver Comic Con. Like what's up with that? <laughs> well, is, is the lighter air like <laughs> distorting her line work? I don't know. <laughs> it might. It might. <laughs> it might be harder to draw at, uh, at elevation. You know, it's a lot, it's harder to do a lot of things. Just uh, kidding. Yeah, we're just kidding, of course. Cora sent us also an email because I do feel bad because Cora keeps on recommending things to me, and I basically <laughs> and you reject. Them. I keep on shitting on them. <laughs> She's like. Did, did you read The Boys? I'm like, oh, yeah, I used it to wipe my ass with because it was horrible. <laughs> that's a that's an exaggeration. The Boys isn't that bad. Uh, but uh, she sent an email saying how boring. I really do love the show. I mean, how boring would it be if everyone agreed on everything? Ah, uh, true. You know, we tend to agree on a lot of things. There's not too many movies we see where we have differing opinions besides, like, The Hunger Games. <laughs> uh, 
And she says that, yes, the Alamo Drift House was awesome. We were already planning to go back at the end of the month. Hey, Cora, if you're listening to this and we can, you know, line up the movie to see together, come back on the show. I like the, uh, I think the best part was that the dinosaur and Jeff Goldblum snippets at the, and cartoons before the movie. Jurassic Park looked awesome in 3D, too. Have a great show. Yeah, we didn't, I didn't go see, I saw Jurassic Park 3D this week, but I didn't see it at the Alamo. But what James told me was that, because he went there, they have clips, the the clip from uh, Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie, yep. where Chef Goldblum <laughs> introduces the movie, and these chairs, what were they? They're, uh, they're the chairs that, remember, I forget the name is the chair. The schlong, yeah, the schlang. Schlang, super. Super chair, 2000 thing. But you sat in this chair in the movie theater, and it like pulled your eyelids back and let you watch the movie without blinking. And, and you put your feet in stirrups and it had like a popcorn dispenser that yeah. also dispensed hot butter. And if you put your hand under the hot butter, you know, you burn yourself. And what's so funny about that bit too, is it has this, these weird cuts in it where it says, hi, 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 I'm Chef Goldblum. Mm. And then he wouldn't be looking at the camera. Then he'd realize he had to look at it's, if you've seen anything, Tim and Eric, you know how weird it is. Well, that's uh, what's cool about the Alamo draft house is like uh, it, uh, they add to the experience by, you know, providing clips of other things. Uh, some of their trailers ahead of the movie uh, that promote other stuff or, you know, draw from very cult movies and has in, or inside jokes and stuff. So it's it's pretty, pretty cool. I agree. Um, Dan emailed us and James isn't here. He'd be really happy because he says, greetings. I must say that I'm in complete agreement with James's review of Justified. James has waited his whole life for someone to agree with anything he said. Uh, the reaction I saw last night, uh, James nearly melted in his seat. He was so ecstatic that he was. He, he, that. he, he did, he, he flat, flay, flayed his arms around and was really excited. And I told him to settle down. You know, we have guests. Don't embarrass yourself. And he didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite cable television show, bar none. And the last season has been especially impressive. It's one of the most well written shows that I've come across and does a brilliant job at blending drama, action, and comedy without feeling forced. Um, I haven't seen it. James let me the first season. I keep on meaning to watch it, but then I decide I want to watch something else. Mm. You know, like the Dick Van Dyke episode I've only seen six or seven <laughs> times. Um, I also recently watched Sam Raimi's original The Evil Dead and was surprised at how much of a straight horror film it is and how effective it is. But while watching it, I couldn't help but think of The Cabin in the Woods and how a, how dead on a critique it is of the film and others like it. Regards, Dan. Uh, yeah, a lot of people are surprised that that's Sam Raimi's first movie. Uh, he... he tended to lean towards the comedy just because of his personality but yeah he's a big fan of the three stooges yeah and he the reason he made uh horror movies because he found that it was the easiest ones to get financed and make money off of and then he decided to make goofy things i'm actually really excited i forgot to mention this in uh yesterday's show uh his second movie called crime wave has never been on dvd is going to be released on blu-ray uh and it's a script by the coen brothers Hmm. that he wrote I mean, that he directed. And it was such a box office bomb that it's never <laughs> been released, but it's coming out May 21st on Blu-ray, so I'm really excited. I've never seen it. Oh, yeah. I, re- I read about that in uh, Bruce Campbell's uh, biography. Yeah. Talk about like produce- making that movie. Yeah. And they they all talk about how it's not a good movie. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just like some like slapstick crime movie, so I'm kind of interested to see it. Yeah. And, you know, who knows? It's probably better than Sam Raimi's giving it credit for, or it might not be. So thank you, everybody, who took the time to send us emails and tweets. We really appreciate it. Um, Mac Robonics sent me another thing, but I've been a- answering him on uh, Twitter. Did you take advantage of the 700 free comics that Marvel gave away digitally? I didn't know. Yeah, I heard that it crashed like the system and stuff, and some people only got a few things because 
They're offering 700 free comics. Yeah, I, I can't imagine how many megabytes or gigabytes of uh, downloading that take like requires, you know? Yeah, but I'm still old school. I still like my comics physically. Yeah. Um, being able to hold them and because see the detail. and I, I went to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics last week, mm-hmm. and... Joe Kelly, who's going to be at Denver Comic Con, and we'll mention him again later on the podcast. But he wrote he wrote Spider Man off and on, and he's in these really weird, like Spider Man offshoots, not his main books. And so I dug up Web Spinners tells of Spider Man, and he he wrote about Peter Parker's senior prom, and it's really good. And I got them half off at Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics. They're only a dollar nice. these issues, so you should pick them up. They're really good. Um, yeah, we'll see. So yeah, thank you for everybody who sent us. Uh, Tweets and emails and waiting for a call again. So, you know, call us. We want, we love hearing your voices better than our voices continuously. Yeah, we hear a lot of ourselves. Absolutely. Way too much this week. <laughs> Way too much. Uh, I think I'm really tired of hearing myself. And I've been in, I've been teaching so many classes for my job that I literally talk for four hours a day. And then I take a break and then I have to talk for four more hours. So it's like I've been hearing my voice so much this this week that You're I just sick of it. want to shut up yeah. and like have like a voice box. So... I would just sound different, you know. Well, I'll, I'll try to step up to the plate and <laughs> fill <right>. the void. <laughs> All right, thanks. Do my best. So, I wish James was here. <laughs> this is a stuff that tickled the real nerds fancy this week. Stuff we've been watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. That's a really long category title. <laughs> it is. It is. And stay tuned for new ones. Um, our good friend Joe is working on... I'm not going to spoil what we're going to have... But hopefully by episode 100, we'll have all new intros and things like that. So stay tuned for that. Um, this week, I, I, I if you've been to our website, you know that I've already posted these reviews. But I was I was at a video a movie store, and I saw all four Leprechauns were in a, the same collection. And they were $5 for it. I said, 5 bucks for four movies? Can't lose. Lucky for you, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I kissed my Blarney Stone and... <laughs> I have to say that they were a favorite of mine when I was in high school, and I think they came out before I was in high school. What about them? What about them? Did you enjoy? You know, I, I love the horror comedy element of him. Um, I, I did this with my father when I was too young. He would take me to Blockbuster, and we got to pick any movie we wanted. That's how I fell in love with Army of Darkness. And when I got in high school, uh, my friend Brandon and I would basically hang out all weekend long. And his mom would take us to the Blockbuster up the street, which is still here. I swear it's the only Blockbuster still around. And we would always go to the horror movie section, and we'd pick just some random horror movie. And we saw some horrible ones, but the Leprechaun ones we loved. And uh, what I love about them, and rewatching them, I still think they're really funny. And I think it's because Warwick Davis just sells being the Leprechaun so much that it, it works. Um, I mean, the rest of the actors in it aren't quite as good. But Warwick Davis is amazing as a leprechaun because he is f- having fun. He's kind of evil, and his he always has limericks that he says before he kills people and rhymes and you know stuff like uh, what's he say? Drink all you want, drink all you're able. If you're drinking with me, you'll be under the table because he's having a, con- a drinking contest with him. And I, in every leprechaun movie, the the mythology of the leprechaun changes. So there's no continuity. Where does the leprechaun come from? It comes from Ireland, I guess, because... So there's just a demonic leprechaun running around all the time yeah. in Ireland? Yeah, killing people in yeah. Ireland. Have you never seen him? I, I, I was going to ask you, I vaguely remember, like, did he... 
and in the finale of one of the movies, did he fall into like a record player and get like sliced up? Uh, that might be a leprechaun in the hood. I never seen him. I didn't even know they existed, and that's pretty bad for me because I pay attention to horror movies. And so today I went to Tradesmart and I found Leprechaun Four, Leprechaun in the Hood, and Leprechaun Back to the Hood for seven bucks. I already own Leprechaun Four in space, but um, but if I bought the two of them separately, it'd be twenty dollars. Or I could buy them with Leprechaun Four and it was seven dollars. Makes no sense at all. So I have two copies of Leprechaun Four. If you're ever interested in Leprechaun Four, oh yeah, please. Uh, it's it's the worst Leprechaun movie. So that I've seen. I don't know if it's worse than Leprechaun in the Hood. And it's not spelled T H E, it's T H A, so it's the Hood. I can't even say it like uh you know It's very urban. Very urban. Uh but yeah, I, I think Warwick Davis just sells it, you know, and he's he's so funny in him and my 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 favorite bit in any of the Leprechaun movies is in the first one, he he's driving this sports car and he gets pulled over and the cop comes up to him and he says, hey, aren't you a little young to be out this late? And he says, young? I'm over a thousand years old. <laughs> and then he kills the cop. <laughs> Chops off his head. Uh, but there are some gruesome parts. In Leprechaun 3, he is in Las Vegas and he saws a magician in half. And it goes right into what I, else I watch. I watch That Thing You Do. And in that thing you do, the guy who sings a song, Mr. Downtown, is a magician in Leprechaun 3. So, you know, sometimes it pays to, you know. Isn't that weird? Sometimes you're like, you'll watch a movie and then all of a sudden, like, it'll, something about it will relate to, like, the same thing you're watching somewhere else at the same time. And I think those movies came out in the same year. And I will say the dude who plays Fazio uh, in The Magician is pretty funny in the Leprechaun movie. So I can see how he kind of. I don't know what if he's done anything else, but, I mean, he's. But I also watch that thing you do, and I watch the Tom Hanks cut, and it's f- fucking fantastic. I love that movie. I really do. What, the There's a Tom Hanks cut? Yeah, it's like two hours and 40 minutes long. Wow. I think the original that thing you do is an hour and 40 minutes, so it's almost an hour, basically an hour longer. And what it does is it flashes out all the characters in the movie. Like, Charlize Theron, um, in the original cut, is only in it for five minutes. In this one, she's in it through the whole movie, basically. And you see why... Um, guy who's a drummer leaves her because she starts dating the dentist and while he's on tour you know with the wonders or the oneaters <laughs> and it's just a cute movie and it's really fun um there's some great little lines in it and you find out like tom hanks's character is gay in it and that was never alluded to in the original cut his boyfriend is howie long who picks him up at the hotel one night um uh football football howie player long? <laughs> howie long yeah wow and uh, it's, did he it's, know he was playing a gay character? Yeah, it's a really funny scene because there, there's a scene in in that thing you do the the theatrical cut. Guy goes to a jazz bar, and when he's at the jazz bar, he meets his hero. And while he's there, he gets drunk. And Rita Wilson, Tom Hanks's real wife, is an actress, and she plays uh, a waitress. And then she takes him back to the hotel. And Tom Hanks is there, and he his name's Mister White, and he says, "Oh, get him in there, get him in there." And he doesn't want Guy to find out that he's gay and he says oh he won't remember this in the morning anyways and so he gets in a convertible with howie long and he becomes really uh flamboyant not i guess not super flamboyant but a little more effeminate it's it's pretty funny Hmm. and it's it's a great movie if you've never seen that thing you do you should definitely see it it's a it's a really cool movie and it's written directed by tom hanks he wrote some of the songs in it so he's a really talented guy the bass player's name is the bass player he doesn't even have a name in the movie Hmm. because he's so not inconsequential. Important. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else did you watch? 
I also watched. Oh fucking! I remember now. Um, <laughs> I don't remember either. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Let my brain. Dum 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 dum. People are gonna love this part of the show, huh? Absolutely. Um. Fuck! I don't know. What did you watch this week, Brad? Um, I can't remember what James watched either. I, I know James watched that thing you do. Yeah, he also well. watched Pitch Perfect, which oh I, yeah, I, I said would probably make my top twenty from last year. He wasn't in love with it like I was because yeah, and, I but, mean, but essence, he could see where you like like what you liked yeah, about I it. I mean, in essence, it is a Glee movie. I mean, that's pretty much the bottom line. But mm-hmm. um, oh, I I just totally remember the movie. I saw no one's here to stop me, so I don't care. I saw The Sting. Oh, that's for the, right. Yeah. The, for the first time. And it's a great movie. If you've never seen The Sting, and I can't believe I've never seen it before. But one of my things, I, I've been going to use Blu-ray places, and we ha- we're fortunate. Uh, I got The Sting at Second Spin. And Second Spin this week is, you can buy, if you buy three used things, you get 30% off. But I also have one of their recycle bags, so I got 40% off on something too. So I got three Blu-rays. I spent like $12 there. And I, The Sting was one of them. And so what I've been doing lately is I've been going through um, the used Blu-rays, and if it has the Universal 100 Years collection, which they basically went into their vault and released all their great movies and put them on Blu-ray, I buy them. I don't care what it is. So I got The Sting. I've gotten Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. and They uh, they, they, they created a box, a box set that had like 100 movies, yeah. 100 of their best movies. And so, in addition to just creating that like huge, expensive collection, they like took out the, made them individually available too. Yeah, because I mean, I couldn't afford the hundred yeah. Blu-ray like drop. I mean, but something like The Sting, which is acted so well, Robert Redford, Paul Newman, and Robert Shaw are the main actors in it, and they're so fantastic. The movie is about con men and how they're trying to set up Robert Shaw, who's basically the biggest con man on the East Coast. And the costumes are great. The movie is shot so well. It's acted so well. It's written so well. And before every um, every um, scene or every part of the movie, they have these Norman Rockwell-styled paintings telling you that this is the setup. This is the the scam they're pulling off. is called The Wire. It's the biggest scam you can pull as a con man. And um, I won't spoil the movie. I spoiled it last night, so I'm not going <laughs> to spoil it because I thought everybody had a second chance it. to not. Yeah, so this it. is a good thing about doing it a second time. But the Sting is fantastic. Everyone should really see it. And like I said, so I'm going and I'm picking up all these movies that I should see. Um, as I've gotten older, I think I've appreciated movies a lot more. And I'm really appreciating these old movies. And the Sting is so good. You should definitely check it out. Um, and I, I love that Universal is taking so much time to put their their catalog on Blu-ray. And they, they import the standard definition um, special features. But every one of the Blu-rays also has 100 years of something. And uh, like, like Abbott Costello has 100 years of monsters. And they have a documentary about the Universal Monsters. The Sting has 100 years of restoration. And it's showing how you, they restore their classics. I, uh, Jaws has a, I don't I forget the one on Jaws. But the Jaws has 100 years. I think it's Backlot Tours. I'm trying Jaws to think one. of the Jurassic Park one, which I just got. I didn't, I checked the feet. I don't know if I missed it, or but I don't. I don't I Is the Jurassic it. Park part of the Hundred Years Universal thing though? Should be. It might be, but you should check it out because they probably have something on there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Jaws one is the back lot, mm-hmm. and the Hundred Years of the back lot, and how you can tour it. So it's really cool. If you just pick up the Universal One Hundred Years, you won't be sorry. They're really good movies, obviously. Um. So yeah, James saw that thing you do, and he loved it as well. Um. 
he saw Pitch Perfect. He liked it as well. And uh, what else did he say he saw? I think that's it. As much as I can remember. Sorry, James, you're not here to defend yourself. Um, um yeah, I can't. you saw Jurassic Park in 3D. Yeah, sorry, I was, I, was, well. I was dreading the other two things I have to explain again because <laughs> I did it so well the first time, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, I saw Jurassic Park 3D like Cora did. Um, I was really impressed for a post-converted 3D movie. It was really well done. It felt like it had amazing. been shot in, th- in 3D. And um, there's this one, the part where the T-Rex busts out and then attacks mm-hmm. the cars, uh, where that you know his eye comes down in front of oh, Lex and dilates and dilates. Uh, the, you know, it's not like a, a, like a lot of depth, but just the separation of those three elements, like her, mm-hmm. the glass, and that T Rex's eye, it was chilling. Um, and what else? I'm trying to remember. Um, yeah, it was. It was, was just, the Gallimimus scene cool? I think that scene would look pretty cool because it's bright and all the dinosaurs are running towards you. Yeah, I guess. Um, at a certain point, I just kind of didn't even think about the 3D anymore. It was so. That's pretty good. Yeah. I, I think towards the end of the movie, I started to realize that I wasn't like checking the movie for like mm-hmm. 3D elements as I, I was did, in the beginning. I did that in the Star Wars one because you could see it looked like cardboard. You know what I mean? And it was yeah, Episode One. Yeah, there, it was so so cut out. Like mm-hmm. here's this layer, here's this layer, this layer. Yeah, Jurassic Park 3D. It, I don't really, I didn't really get that. Awesome. It's really good. Um, then I also saw, so I saw, saw two other movies and I didn't go into them feeling tired <laughs> but um for some reason not and they weren't even they didn't feel that boring to me but i nodded off and this during, is a common problem with you though I, a, i've been in movie theaters where you've fallen asleep yeah and it's not like i'm like totally passed out and snoring or something it's just like but, my eyes are still moving to the movie but my brain isn't registering yeah, what's going on no it's not like you you make a scene when you fall asleep it's just like you're at peace like <laughs> the theater puts you at peace you know what i mean maybe like i've seen so much screen time <laughs> that i'm starting to slip into comas <laughs> little mini comas and, and 70 years from now when you're dead that's where they're going to find you dead is if people think brad is just sleeping in the theater again brad but, didn't come home today and we can't his we, he's not answering his cell phone they start checking on the movie theaters and there i am just yeah. sitting somewhere did you check Catatonic. the movie theater <laughs> ryan frost former host of real nerds and in, in an insane asylum <laughs> knows that his friend brad has <laughs> i know where he is he always said he died watching movies <laughs> he died doing what he loved <laughs> <laughs> anyways the movies you saw this week. okay so i watched the new miyazaki um well studio ghibli 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 mm-hmm. so i figured that one out but uh, his, i think his son directed this one uh, it's called Up on Poppy Hill, and uh, the animation's beautiful, as they're known for. I think what they're so good at is they make everything so cute-looking. Yeah, um, and it's not an exciting movie like, say, Princess Mononoke that has action and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, you know, there's this, I guess, two orphan kids. Um, this one girl lives in a house up on Poppy Hill, Poppy Hill with these other girls, uh, and then this boy... Uh, goes to school at the like community college and they live in this old building that's in danger of being torn down by the uh college because it's it's just old um so uh these two meet up and uh uh with the the boy is part of a um the newspaper club um and so with her help they rally together to try and encourage like 
to repair, encourage people to repair the building and get it spruced up so that the college decides that they don't really need to destroy it. Um, and meanwhile, there's this B story of uh, that the two might be related to each other. Hmm. Um, like same father, different mothers or something. Uh, or same mother, different fathers. Uh, and there's like three... It's set in post, I think, World War II Japan. So they're rebuilding. So they're rebuilding. Um, and so these uh, their fathers that they're trying to decide like who in the picture is their actual father of the three. Mm-hmm. So they do all this investigative work and it's, uh, it's cute. It's a um, very classy movie. Um, but there are times where I was very lost on like, who are they trying to figure? Like, cause it's, you know, the characters in the photo are drawn, you know, there's no, not a lot of detail. So mm-hmm. they kind of all look the same. So you're like, are they, f- you know, figuring out who that guy is in the photo or is it another guy? I, I was kind of, you know, lost it is it a movie you're gonna see again though you think not probably not really um i mean i wouldn't if it's streaming or something if it's streaming i would put it on like but i wouldn't rush out to see it again either Mm. um you know it's all right it's it's not terrible (laughs) (laughs) um and the fact that i you know it was kind of i nodded off a little bit of parts that probably (laughs) contributed to me not following it so that didn't help so i feel bad trying to review something i didn't fully yeah seen its entirety, you know? Um, and then the other thing I saw was, um, not exactly sure how to pronounce it because I went to go see it, expecting it to be called tail T H A L E. And then the person at the theater who introduces the, uh, it's part of a special segment. So he introduces, uh, fail, t- you know, like I spelled it there. And then in the movie, it's, I, th- I had a second chance to look up if it's Norwegian or Swedish or something. Mm-hmm. It's foreign. Um, <laughs> the characters in the movies, uh, refer to it as toll. So, well, I mean, it, whatever, I mean, I'm going to call it tail. Yeah. However they pronounce, well, yeah, you'd say tail. I don't know how they'd pronounce it. Uh, and I say tail because the movie is about, sorry, <laughs> the movie is about, <laughs> you think, thinking really hard about it, huh? Yeah. The movie's about, um, these two guys, they're part of a crime scene, crime scene cleanup crew and they get called to this one bunker. Uh, and while they're, you know, looking around trying to find, uh, what to clean up, they discover this girl who's been sitting in this bathtub. And shortly after this part is where I fell asleep more than I did in the previous movie uh, <laughs> to the point where um, just as I was getting into finding out like why she is who she is, because it's alluded that she's part of this uh, weird race of like cat women who live in the mountains. Uh but she's an anomaly. Like she looks more human than they do. Um, and so they're trying to explain her backstory. I pass out, wake <laughs> up and there's been like, uh, the two guys are holed up. They're trying to protect her as some, uh, group is laid siege on the bunker and they're trying to, uh, execute them. So is it a vi- like graphic violent movie or is it? It's some parts because, uh, the cat women in the forest attack the attack, th- their attackers. Um, and that's pretty gruesome. Mm-hmm. Like they shred them up and, um, whatnot. Uh, and then there's like flashbacks to the girl. Like she cuts off her tail to be like, a, to make, like try to be human and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the crime scene cleanup guys are explaining, 
Um, they're trying to figure out why she she was being held in the bunker by some other guy who's writing a journal. I don't know. Sorry. I don't even <laughs> know why I'm bothering with this. Um, but it wasn't... And then the CGI of the cat girls is like that CGI you see on like um, like cable dinosaur documentaries. So it just kind of feels like it's, so it's, it's not, really noticeably CGI, huh? It's like totally out of... It's like when you watch them on the documentaries and it's a beach and the dinosaurs are walking by, but they're not interacting with like the environment or anything. It's, yeah, they just kind of pasted on there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the thing that in this too. So uh, I, while I'm curious to figure out what I missed, I'm not like anxious to go see it again. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it's that good. Um, yeah. So that's what I watched. Cool. Word from our sponsors. For barbecue that can't be beat, try Birdman Barbecue Sauce. Available and original and spicy. These robust, full-flavor sauces have the awesome power to kick your taste buds in their face. And for that smoking taste on everything you eat, try new Birdman Smoking Rub. Caution! Meat left unrubbed may suffer from flavor performance anxiety. You can pick up Birdman Barbecue at local area Ace Hardware stores, Ruff's Barbecue in Golden, and the Danny Cash Hot Shop off-Broadway. You can also like us on Facebook at Birdman BBQ. My man-spider sense is tingling. Hey, look, it's man-spider. How's it going, true believers? When I'm swinging through Colorado and I need comic books, I head to Arvada, Colorado, to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics. Oh, no, the teal troll is attacking me. My son's in danger. Will no one help him? Oh, no, it's man-spider. Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics, the whips the competition with great deals on back issues. 50% off, hold slot, 20% off list price. You want sports memorabilia? They got that, too. Where are you going, Man Spider? The Teal Troll still has my son. Here's web in your eye. Oh, no, I'm bested by Man Spider again. So visit 6700 Wadsworth Boulevard in Arvada, Colorado, and tell them the real nerd sent you. Thank you, people who help us pay bills. Now we're going to go to boxofficemojo.com and see what they have what the number one movie last week was this is the box office stats what was the number one movie last week ryan the number one movie last week brad was evil dead at 25 million dollars. hey that's the movie we saw that is and it's not the evil dead i keep on saying that it's evil dead it's just evil dead man what is no article me i know right and are you surprised mm, that is number one no no i'm not actually i'll be surprised how I, I want to see how well it does this weekend. I'm sure it's going to drop big, but if it makes over $40 million, I think they'll make another one. I mean... Well, it already made its budget back. Yeah, so. it was $17 million, so it's already made its money back. So, yeah. And then Jurassic Park 3D actually did pretty well. did like $18 million. Nice. So, uh, th- some movies don't do very well when they re-release them in 3D. But Jurassic Park is compelling enough to bring audiences because back out it, for it's a well-loved It's a love, well-loved franchise, mm-hmm. you know? So it's going to bring people back. You know what's weird, though? You know what pisses me off about Box Office Mojo? is mm. they So they have Jurassic Park 3D as a separate release from Titanic 3D. But Titanic 3D goes into the grosses of Titanic. Like, it's not two separate releases. They combined them. So as far as the full gross, when they do Titanic, they 
tabulate it, Titanic. Titanic is listed on the chart, and it it compiles everything, every version of Titanic exactly. ever made, even the re-release that wasn't yeah, in 3D. Yeah, they did the same thing with Avatar. In Avatar, but Jurassic Park it has, has a separate one. the one that was up there since 93, and then mm-hmm. has a totally different entry yep. for the 3D. Because they also have the budget for it on there. A separate budget for it. That seems unfair. I know. That must be ran by Fox or something. Not that the gross... Uh, not that it's gross even really dictates what kind of a movie it is. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Because, But it's still, it, it's kind of weird that they would do it that way. Yeah, they treat it differently. But anyways, thanks, Box Office Mojo. I mean, you do still have a great informative site. And now, what's coming out next week on Blu-ray and DVD, if you care? DVD releases and Blu-rays. Really, the big one is Django Unchained. It's really the only thing that's coming out next week. Nice. It's a good movie. You should pick it up. You should. I, I, I'll i pick it up for sure. I think there's an exclusive Best Buy version. Is it really? Yeah. So, I'm not sure what you get with it, but... um, You know, my exclusive Amazing Spider-Man at Target had a 45-minute making of disc. So, you know, it was worth it. An extra special features disc. Great. Yeah. <laughs> um, It's better than some of them. I remember when Spider-Man... 3 was about to come out they released the first Spider-Man on DVD and I rushed out to get the special edition it was a 12 minute long special feature <laughs> on an extra disc really 12 minutes anyways remember when they were doing like 1.5 and 2.5 yeah is there a 3.5 I don't think so um yeah I wish that the, when they do exclusives they'd announce them weeks in advance yeah not just the week before in the whatever print ad I agree. Because like, I would like a, to plan ahead. You think it'd be something they'd want to brag about, saying, "Hey, you can get this version of Django. You can't get anywhere else." Yeah, no. But they, they don't. Wait, they wait till you know Sunday <laughs> after I've pre-ordered it on Amazon. Exactly. <laughs> but thank you, Digital Bits. I love Digital Bits. I remember going into it when it was called the Digital Bits uh, many years ago. And that's that, right. I, I I love that website. And if you go to digitalbits.com and you click on their DVD cover art, it'll take you to Amazon. And at Amazon, you can pre-order it or buy it, and that will give Digital Bits a little bit of change. And it helps keep them running, so you should do it. I love that website. Time for real news. It's real news! This week on Real News, it wasn't that exciting. James watched the uh, Asylum trailer. Is that how it's called? Elysium. Elysium trailer with Matt Damon and Jodie Foster. He says it's kind of looks a little bit like District Nine. I- I'd expect it from the guy who made District Nine. Yeah, that makes which sense. is one of my favorite movies from two thousand nine. James's two thousand nine list includes such gems as Avatar. At number four. At number four, mine is District Nine. You decide, uh, real nerds <laughs> listener, which is better. And uh, for those of you who will never hear what we recorded yesterday, James apologizes for having Avatar that high up on his list. <laughs> he does. Uh, and then also, they're going to remake Point Break, which... Uh, I mean, I've been hearing they've been doing that for a while. I know. Like, it's not really news to me, but... Yeah, but they've. I think they've settled on a director. And I guess uh, they're they're making a Fast and Furious 7 already. And they're going to start shooting it almost immediately. So they must believe that Fast 6 is really good. Mm. And they're going to hire... They're in talks with the director of Saw, James Wan. Mm. So good for him. That makes sense. The guy who made like tons of torture porn is going to make an action movie? Well, I guess he can... I mean, in those movies, it's a lot of loud 
music and quick cuts, so it probably work. That makes sense. You know. But anyways, slow week in real news. I, I went back and I was looking at it while you were explaining the movie that yeah. I heard from yesterday. <laughs> and, uh, uh, another thing it. we touched on yesterday, um, Jonathan Winters died. Oh, he did. Uh, uh, if you don't know who Jonathan Winters is, he was a, a popular comedian uh, from days gone by. One um, of the uh, really early recognized improv guys. Right. And I know him mostly from Mork and Mindy when he played uh, yeah. Mork and Mindy's like old he's he's like the original benjamin button <laughs> like he looks old but he plays their baby <laughs> um and i guess he's right. yeah, it's yeah. a mad 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 world yeah uh it's a lot of other things he's on johnny carson a lot so That's it's, right. it's a bummer and then annette funicello died and she's like one of the original Musketeers. Mas- she's the she was one of the ones that people really she's the one that people saw that they really loved right and yeah. she was intended like beach movies yeah from the 60s she suffered from ms i just watched a whole thing about yeah. her it was pretty sad because she said love to dance and to sing, and they were interviewing her in as like ninety nine, and they asked uh, the lady asked her, you know, what do you, what's the thing you, that you miss the most? And she started crying, says she just wants to dance again. It's like pretty Aww. sad. Comic book corner. What's up, nerds? It's the comics corner. Now James picked the comic book this week, and um, unfortunately, you'll never hear him explain it. But it's a comic book that he told me to get, and I pick, went and picked up the trade. Joe Kelly, I mentioned him earlier on the podcast, is coming to Denver Comic-Con. And he is also, besides the book I'm about to tell you, he also is a writer and executive producer of Man of Action, which is a cartoon studio that does Ben 10 and Ultimate Spider-Man. So they do a lot of popular things. But he wrote a comic called I Kill Giants, and it's a, it's a story about a little girl who uh, who plays basically dungeons and dragons and she's an outcast and she sees things that nobody else sees she's she she's it's called i kill giants because she's a firm believer that she's going to kill giants and she's visited by little pixies and it's a really cute quirky story it's it's drawn in an anime style and the art's really good in it um it's it's a really it's a sad story um because this girl is alone she's an orphan and she it's you should really read the story if you've never read it you should definitely pick it up you can definitely get the trade because I got the trade at Colorado Coins, Cards and Comics for twenty percent off, and it's called "I Kill Giants," and it's a really great story. It's a little independent book. You can also get they have the fourteen ninety nine version. If you don't want that version, they also have a thirty dollar version, which is a hardcover, lots of um, deleted. I don't know if you call them deleted Bonus material. Yeah, deleted panels or practice panels. I don't even know what you'd call them. Um, but yeah, it basically a director's cut of mm-hmm. a comic book, and it's really good. And you should really pick it up. Joe Kelly is such a great writer. He actually wrote one of my favorite Spider-Man books in the recent years, where it deals with a rhino. Um, you should really read it. It's called "I Kill Giants," and it's twenty percent off at Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics. So you should definitely pick it up. So yeah, so now it's time for us to review the movie that we saw this week. That's right. This week we saw the movie Forty Two. Brad, should people go see 42? Absolutely. This movie was very good. I agree with you, Brad. 42 is a great movie. Um, and we're going to play the trailer, and I want you to try to find a trailer that doesn't have Jay-Z's fucking song in it, I'll which will best. be impossible. So if you can find just a you know like a scene from the movie where you know he's saying, I'm right here, then that would be awesome, <laughs> because then I don't have to hear, uh, Brooklyn, Jackie Robinson. Uh, here's, a, here's a trailer. My daddy left us. I was only six months older than you are now. 
I don't remember him. You will remember me. Jackie Robinson. A black man in white baseball. I want you to know I'm there for you. Yeah, my heart. Think about the abuse that he's gonna take. Your enemy will be out in force, but you cannot meet him on his own low ground. What you gonna do if one of these pictures throws through your head? I'll duck. <laughs> Mark my words and circle this day. Negroes are gonna run the white man straight out of baseball. This ain't the America I know. You hear me? If they knew you, they would be ashamed. If Robinson can help us win, then he is going to play on this ball club. You don't belong here, and you never will. Get off the field. Brooklyn Dodgers ain't changing our way of living. Where are we down? You are not the only one with something at stake here. You want a player who doesn't have the guts to fight back? No, I want a player who's got the guts not to fight back. You give me a uniform. You give me a number on my back. I'll give you the guts. I father, I Brooklyn Dodger them. I Jack, I Rob, I Sin. Oh man, I'm Jackie Robinson. Set when I run base, I dodge the pen. I'm just a ball player. You are a hero. Watch you look in the mirror. This is a white man's game. I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. I'm a Brooklyn boy. I may take some getting used to. Maybe tomorrow we'll all wear 42. You know, I guess uh, they'd have that song in the trailer because they're trying to sell this story to kids but they really shouldn't have to well not kids but just like a younger audience yeah they really shouldn't have to because jackie robinson is basically is a true american hero and a legend and i mean most people know the story but we'll recap really quickly jackie robinson is the first african-american baseball player pro baseball baseball player and before that time they only played in the negro leagues and uh harrison ford plays branch Branch Ricky. Yeah. Branch Ricky has a goofy name. That's yeah, a real name, right? Well, it seems like his name's flip flopped. Yeah, like, it should be Rich Ricky Branch. Ricky Branch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he, at the open of the movie, he says, "I want um, us to find an African American player to play, you know, for the Brooklyn Dodgers, and it's going to happen this year." Because and, because he wants a World Series. Because a World World Series guarantees money mm-hmm. to the organization, and also. More ticket sales because it'll in, like bring African American money to exactly the game, so. to the game initially initially and and you've kind of it, it pulls back the layers of his character and it's, you know and Harrison Ford is so good in this movie he's amazing in this movie I was passing a sandlot little white boy was up at bat you know what he was doing sitting on a fastball he was pretending he was you why did you do this Mister Ricky. had a victory over fascism in Germany. No. Why? Why'd you do it? 
I love baseball. Give my whole life to it. Forty odd years ago, I was a player coach at Ohio Wesleyan University. We had a Negro catcher, best hitter on the team. So I'm laid low, broken, because of the color of his skin, and I didn't do enough to help. Told myself I did, but I didn't. There was something unfair at the heart of the game I love. And he plays he plays a character I've never really seen him play before because you can tell he you know, he has the makeup on his face with the eyebrows and he has like he's kind of fat and he has like a little hunchback and And he adds an accent to he, his character. Yeah, he has like a grumble in his voice and yeah. you can tell he's you know, an old guy who loves baseball. I mean Harrison Ford is old, but yeah. he, it's weird you don't think of Harrison Ford as old. I think he's like seventy. He's seventy one, I think. Yeah. yeah. He's so awesome. But it's cool to see him play something different than the leading guy, even though I guess you could say he's the co-lead in the movie, but but he's a supporting actor in the movie. I call him a supporting actor, yeah. But he, he's yeah, so important he, to the he's movie. He's not a heroic, like, everyman, you know. He's no. playing a character role. Yeah, and and the, the guy who plays Jackie Robinson is so good. I'm going to look it up real quick because I, I want to give him yeah, props. Be, yeah. Because he's so Doing good justice. in justice. Promise me you'll write. <laughs> when have I ever not written? I want you to know I'm there for you, even if it's words on paper. Ray, in my heart. <laughs> You're getting close now, and the closer you get, the worse they'll be. Don't let them get to you. I won't. God built me to last. And he, you know he's a tough he's a tough kid. He does a good job of like showing strength and reserve, and um, that scene where he finally breaks down in the tunnel uh, because he can't take uh, uh, any more of the uh, Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman, and he's you know I've seen him like on Law and Order. I think I think he's one of those character actors who's in a lot of things, but you don't know who he is but i think after this movie he's going to start getting a lot of stuff because he's so good and to to follow up yeah the scene where he's in the tunnel is so good because i mean he's basically being called horrible names by alan tudyk who plays you know philadelphia philadelphia's i didn't know philadelphia was that racist did you i i i got it's a it's not a documentary so i don't know if they embellished it a little bit but he says like every african-american racial slur that I've ever heard. But they also didn't want them to play in the, in Philadelphia because Jackie Robinson was on the team. Right. So I didn't know Philadelphia was that racist. Because <laughs> I, I, to, me, I that's a, that's to a, me, that's a northern state, right? It would. Well, the thing about, like, even though the North won, like, there's still, yeah, there's still well, tons of racism. And the Civil War wasn't entirely about slavery. It was also about, like, uh, taxes and... Uh, the president telling the South what to do, you know? Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, I mean, it's sad to realize that that's not even 70 years ago and how pathetic. I know it's very recent in our history. How pathetic people are. You know, it's. How caught up in prejudice we can be. And un, unfounded prejudice. You know, uh, there's a great scene, too, where all the sports writers are up in the booth. They're all white because the black sports writers aren't allowed in the press box. And they're all writing the stories and. 
Um, this one guy says, mark my word, it's going to be the end of white man in baseball because the black man has an extra bone in his heel to make him run faster. And then Jackie Robinson hits a home run and he says, hey, that bone in his heel, help him hit that home run. And yeah. it was really great. Um, but the movie is so well done. There are some hokey parts in it, but I, I still think there's some powerful moments. You know, Harrison Ford's character is the father figure that Jackie Robinson never had. Yeah, Jackie Robinson's dad left him like when he was six, six months, months old. old. Yeah, And, you know, that scene, back to the tunnel scene, he's, you know, he's about to lose it because um, the manager for the Phillies is calling him so many racial slurs. And Harrison Ford says, you can't do it. Just go out there. People are counting on you. Basically, way better by Harrison Ford. And he gives him a hug. And it's it's so powerful and means so much to him. And I want to get a Jackie Robinson jersey. I hardly ever get jerseys from other teams, but it's the Brooklyn Dodgers, and they don't exist anymore. So, Well, uh, one game out of the year, every team wears a 42 jersey, so there could be a Rockies 42. I guess it could be a Rockies 42, but I want to be authentic. <laughs> so I, I, I'll see if I can find it. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure they exist. I hope they exist because he's so important and the movie's so well done. It's don't forget Harrison Ford's uh, ex- when he explains why he actually. Oh man, I don't want to spoil it for people, but it's so good. His real reason for because the whole movie Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson's asking him. He says, "Why did you pick me? Why did you pick me?" For the third time in the movie, too. Like prior to that, Harrison Ford makes all these other excuses, like, "Oh, I want to win a World Series," yeah, or "Yeah, I want World Series. I want I'll money." Get money. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. He's a person. and I kind of want to make a statement about the game. Exactly. And then you find out exactly what that means. <laughs> and it's so great. And he, he's, after he tells the story that he tells, and he kind of, he doesn't really cry, but he kind of cries. You know, you get choked up too. You're like, wow, this is such a great actor in such a great role. And he knows what to do. And it's, it's awesome to see. It yeah. is. And the story is so good. And, and the filmmaking part of it, like, it's not, it's not really... Uh, technically, like any kind, it's not flashy. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, over the top. Like, oh, let's show you these cool baseball shots, or uh, um, you know, it's it's edited and told in a pretty traditional, like TV movie yeah. style manner. But um, the acting and writing is just so good. Yeah, and I think I think it was an uh, a per a choice was on purpose because the story is not about how flashy you can make it. It's about Jackie Robinson and uh. Also, you know, the, the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers, because those two, like, I didn't know he stayed in the minors for a year. I thought he was immediately into the major league and he broke this color barrier. And well, I think it was two years because he was what for the Monarchs? Mm-hmm. Was it the Monarchs? And Monarchs then, was his Negro League. And then he went up to, to the Montreal Royals. To Montreal. So that was another year, right? Uh, well, yeah, I guess because he was, they started showing him and they were looking through. Yeah, I think you're right. They were looking through what you know, players they should pick to be in Major League Baseball. And they, and said, they had oh, to, like, prove a year. Yeah, or, uh, something like that. But they entered him early because they lost their manager. So uh, uh, Ricky need, like wanted to <laughs> get back at the uh, commissioner of baseball. Yeah, it, it's, it's a really great story. And he does, you know, the scene where the Philadelphia owners calls – Harrison Ford and he tells him, you know, and you go up to God and ask him why uh, you didn't allow Jackie Robinson to play. That answer is insufficient enough. It's great. Yeah, he really, yeah. Branch, it's Herb. Hello, Herb. What can I do for you? Branch, how long have we known each other? Oh, 20 years, maybe more. 
Now, I'm afraid that we're not going to be able to take the field against your team if that boy's in uniform. Why is that, Herb? His name is Jackie Robinson, by the way. Yeah, Branch, I understand he's got a name, but we're just not ready for that sort of thing here in Philadelphia. Well, what you do with your team is your decision, Herb. But my team's going to be in Philadelphia tomorrow with Robinson. And if we have to claim the game as a forfeit, so be it. That's nine to zero, in case you forgot. You know what, Branch, you've had a hell of a hair across your ass over this for a long time, and I'd like to know what it is you think you're trying to prove. You think God likes baseball, Herb? What? What the hell is that supposed to mean? It means someday you're going to meet God, and when he inquires as why you didn't take the field against Robinson in Philadelphia, and you answer that it's because he was a Negro, it may not be a sufficient reply. You have to see it because, I mean, there's moments in the movie. So, yeah, definitely go see 42. Um, the Real Nerds recommend it. Things say all they want. We're just here to play ball. It's just a bunch of crackpots still fighting the Civil War. Well, hell, we'd have won that son of a gun if the corn stalks would have held out. We just ran out of ammunition. Better look next time, Pee Wee. Ain't gonna be a next time, Jax. All we got's right here. Thank you, Jax. What are you thanking me for? I got family out there from Louisville. I need them to know. I need them to know who I am. Hey, number one! Playing ball, socializing. Playing ball, huh? Playing ball. Maybe tomorrow we'll all wear 42. That way they won't tell us apart. Next week on Real Nerds, we are seeing Oblivion, the new Tom Cruise movie. I'm excited. I love Tom Cruise, and the movie you looks do. really interesting. It's from the director of Tron Legacy, so that's yeah. I'm excited about that. I've already read some reviews, and they say he it's really visually really cool. Yeah. I was watching the Tron Legacy special features last week, and uh, apparently he is an architect background, so that's really? why everything looks so polished and you specific. Know, I have not seen Tron Legacy. I know. I'm horrible. But I was watching a high def. I was watching a Blu-ray preview, and Tron Legacy was one of them. Oh, it was for Secretariat, and uh, Secretariat came out what two thousand eight, two thousand nine, uh, two thousand nine, I think. I guess yeah. I guess they would have a trailer for, and it looks amazing on Blu-ray. I know. I was, I was, <laughs> I was thinking to myself, I might go get that movie just because it looks so good on Blu-ray. Yeah, I, I, I'll agree that the story is kind of weak, um, and not. Uh, but it's, it's the look of it, like visually, it's just stunning. So yeah, I'm pr- so I'll probably see it. Yeah, maybe I'll see it this week to gear me up for Oblivion. Anyways, nice. you can call us seven two zero six nerds five. You can tweet us at real underscore nerds. Email us directly realnerds at gmail dot com. Next, week. visit our website realnerdspodcast dot com. And Brad, you have something for next week, right? Uh, well, I was gonna say next weekend you can also come see us in person. At Starfest. That's right. Denver Marriott Tech Center. Um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Well, you can go enjoy the con Friday, Saturday, Sunday. (laughs) We'll be there Saturday only. Yeah, we'll be there. We'll be right next to the autograph table. So please stop by because I love talking to uh, fellow nerds. And, you know, I am not... The Starfest is a little more out of my league. I mean, I know a lot of 
about what people are there. Starfest is more of a sci-fi convention, yeah. whereas Denver Comic Con is obviously comics and movies. So you're it's more of your uh, you're more comfortable with that stuff. So you might have to lead some interviews on that. You can just say like nerd, <laughs> super nerd. <laughs> no, I mean Star Trek dork. It, I like Star Trek. Then how you, come you've only seen Khan? <laughs> no, I've seen six. Remember, we did a commentary for it that was lost. That was too. also lost. <laughs> so different... once every three years, Brad loses a, <laughs> loses a, uh, a episode. That was not my fault. That was again the laptop. But Brad, aren't, aren't you also showcasing three of your films? That's right. Also next week on Thursday, April eighteenth, eighteenth, <laughs> um, at the Bug Theater, eight p.m. Uh, my animations got selected to be in the Denver uh, Animation Pixel Show. So me and a bunch of other Denver animators will be showcasing our films for five bucks. Come down. There's free beer. Um, free beer? That's Yeah. For five bucks and you get to see cartoons? It's weird for me to recommend that when I don't drink and you, like, yeah, you don't but drink. Still, but other people have Other drink, people. So. Hey, you get to watch cartoons and drink beer. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, and all it costs you five bucks. And uh, yeah, so come check that out. We're showing... Uh, Idiot Chitix's toilet paper commercial, awesome. Enter Mustachio, and Beware of Hat and Glasses. Enter Mustachio is great because Brad makes an appearance as the evil Mustachio. Uh, or does that's not he? me. <laughs> I don't have a mustache. I love that just the mustache makes him evil. <laughs> that's right. Not the googly eyes. Um, and then also next week, God, next week's so full of stuff. Right. Uh, we have more filmmakers, and hopefully we won't lose their episode either. Yes, that's right. The makers of The Aviation Cocktail, they're premiering a movie uh, April 26th at the Film Center. For The Real Nerds, I'm Ryan. That's Brad. This has been a Nebulous Visions production. Thank you so much for listening. Brad uh, sucks. Dick. My throat hurts. It's going to be great. Sucking too much dick? It's too much dick. <laughs> Suck the devil's dick. <laughs> does it taste like horse? <laughs> and racism. D- d- does the devil, is his bottom half like animal? <laughs> is it horse? I mean, what's the interpretation of the devil? Does anyone really know? Hooves. Uh, he takes many shapes in order to trick you. Yes, I guess the devil could be anything you want it to be. I think this podcast is the devil right now. <laughs>